Hello and welcome to another edition of Playing With Ourself Online. This is Christian right here, uh, and today I'm playing a very special game. I have a copy of Chaosium's latest solo adventure, Alone Against the Static, which is a beautiful book. Uh, it's written by Brian Holland, and it's a hardcover book. I, I didn't realize when I bought it I was going to get a hardcover. So it's actually beautiful. i got to say, props to Chaosium. Uh, they send out some very uh, beautiful books. Every book I've ever gotten from Chaosium, whether it be RuneQuest or Call of Cthulhu or whatever, they're just, they're just sturdy. They're well put together. And I think it's a good time to, like, let me, let me stop for a minute here. Before I go on and, and get talk about the game, Christian wants to talk about a little bit something else. And yes, I refer to myself in the third person there. But I'm recording this basically the week before Christmas. Uh, it's December 20th right now. And the news that hit recently is that a certain major corporation, Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, laid off 1,100 of their employees. And the fact of the matter is that those employees, the people that got laid off, the 1,100 people, were the people who were the creatives, the people who make the games, the people who make the art, the people who engage with the community. And those 1,100 people were laid off, so about five executives could make somewhere in the range of about $30 million in bonuses. So I just want to say that, listen, like, there's nothing wrong with D&D as a game. Uh, you should certainly play and enjoy it. There's a lot wrong with D&D as a quote-unquote brand being owned by a major corporation who is in it just for profit. So one of the mission statements of DMs After Dark is to expose light to all the other great games out there, all the other great systems, and all the other great particularly companies out there who do engage with their communities, who understand that an engaged player base and an engaged community is what creates the game and what makes them special. Chaosium is certainly one of those companies. It's a great company. It's a very you know small company as far as, as publishing goes, but it's very engaged with its people. Everything I've ever gotten with them, I've gotten from them, I've been very happy with. You know, interaction I've ever had with them, I've ever been happy, have been happy with them. But that's just not chaos, and that's true of uh, a ton of other companies and games that we've played. And by the way, we don't get anything from these people. I paid for this copy of Alone Against the Static. I paid for every copy of every book that I have from Call of Cthulhu uh, or RuneQuest from Chaosium. Uh, they don't sponsor us. Neither does Modiphius or any of the other companies out there. Um, Magpie, we've played a lot of their games. Uh, we don't get anything from them for doing that. They're just good games and a good company. So what I encourage you to do going into next year is if you're if you've never played any other D&D any other game except for D&D there's nothing wrong with that you don't have to stop playing D&D but you can certainly I encourage you to explore all the other great games that are out there and consider spending your very hard-earned money on people who are making passionate passionate projects that they believe in and games that they love that are engaged in and doing it for the right reasons because they love games and they love our hobby. So enough said about that. Back to this book, Alone Against the Static. Just a little bit about the book again. It's a beautiful book. It's hardcover. Something else that's awesome about Chaosium and almost every other publisher out there, when you buy the hardcover, you get a free PDF copy. Oh, and by the way, if you just buy the PDF copy, you get a discount if you decide to go back and buy the hardcover so they don't jack you twice on the price. Oh, and by the way, if you buy that from a that hardcover from a friendly local game store who participates in their brick-and-mortar program, you still get a copy of the PDF. So again, companies that engage with the community, companies that understand that gaming stores are the lifeblood of our hobby, companies that are dedicated to making sure our hobbies around for a very long time and not just maximizing profit for next quarter for quote-unquote shareholders. Enough about that. Loan Against the Static, Brian Holland, a solo adventure beyond signal range. So if you've never played any of the solo Call of Cthulhu scenarios, uh, they act a lot like choose-your-own-adventure books. So there's a bunch of paragraphs, and each paragraph is numbered. 
and you know you get to a decision point and you pick x y or z and it sends you to a different number and you kind of find your path through the system there i've only played one before which is alone against the flames if this goes well if people like it i might go back and play the other ones i have the other ones so i might play them because honestly i have them and i've never played them and this book looks like a lot of fun so alone against the static is set in the 1990s and we have two characters so like all good horror stories, we have a very small and contained environment. And we have two characters. We have Charlie and we have Alex. And Charlie and Alex are married. They've been married for five years, although things are not going very well. They're in their early 30s. The relationship's starting to sour a little bit. So they've gone up to uh, somewhere in the Forgotten Wilds. I'm going to read the start. Somewhere in the Forgotten Wilds where pine needles carpet the forest floor, something stirs. Wind whips around the Black Hills, the place where bears, rabbits, and birds never visit. The trees of the surrounding forest shiver. Beneath the moist earth, something wakes. Shifting from beneath the soil, it erupts in science from the ground. It emerges, reverberates through the wild. Far off, a wolf howls in mourning for what will soon pass. It pulls itself from the darkness. It breathes. It blinks. Dun, dun, dun. So that's a setup where the Black Hills of South Dakota, we have Alex and Charlie. Uh, the good thing is you can choose to play either one uh, of the couple. I've chosen to play Alex because she um, seems a little bit more of my vibe. She's a hopeless romantic as listed on her uh, character sheet. And that is a, believe it or not, a Christian trait. Don't tell anyone. So we're going to start. We're going to play Alex and Charlie and Alex on their way to a remote cabin in South Dakota to try to revive their marriage. That's where we're going to start. So here we go. Number two, I start. Oh, by the way, you get these excellent character sheets from Tiasa. There's one thing I forgot to do before. At, they're pretty much all set with the exception of this pretty uh, common for um, pre-gens in any Call of Cthulhu scenario. Their luck statistic is not filled out yet. So if you've never played Call of Cthulhu before, I'll walk us through it a little bit. Uh, it's a percentile system, very similar to RuneQuest, which I'm going to be rolling percentile dice. I'm going to be trying to get under my skill. Uh, and then if I get under half or under a fifth, uh, good things, even better things happen to me. But luck and sanity are two very important statistics in Call of Cthulhu. Alex has a sanity of 50. Uh, so as she encounters things and bad things begin to happen, that's, um, you know, kind of a mid-sanity score. You can go ranges from 1 to 100, so it is the definition of mid. So, you know, she can start wearing down pretty quickly here. Uh, but luck is something you can spend to make rolls or boost rolls. So there's no luck stat here. So I'm going to roll. I don't know. haven't read ahead, so I don't know if it's going to come in, into play. But you roll 3d6, multiply it by 5. So I haven't done that yet. So let's do that right now for my luck. Uh, 1, off to a great start. 3, so it's a 4. And two is a six. Six times five is 30. 30 luck is not that great. So also Christian's vibe, Alex is not very lucky. So there we go. We've got Alex. She's from Deadwood, South Dakota. She lives in Pierre, South Dakota. She's married to Charlie. Uh, been with Charlie for almost five years. Charlie seems less than happy. Charlie's brother, Mark, recommended going to this vacation cabin for some time alone. It worked for Mark and his wife, Julie. Maybe it'll work for Alex and Charlie, too. And she is a little rugged, a little scruffy. She's a hopeless romantic. She only believes in what she can see, so she's a little bit of a littlest. She loves Charlie despite everything. The meaningful location of her life is a restaurant that they went to on their first date, and one of her most treasured possessions is a love letter that Charlie wrote. So Alex is invested in keeping things going here. So let's 
see where things go. It's Call of Cthulhu, so I don't have a lot of high hopes for things. But let's see what happens. So, we get to number two. Damn it, Charlie growls, struggling to fold an impractically large map over your car's steering wheel and avoid steering off-road into a tree at the same time. Ah, it's the 90s, we got maps. Can't you just let me hold the map, you ask? No, I can do this just fine, Charlie says, then slams on the brakes to round another tight bend. It is late afternoon in a rural back road deep within the Black Hills of South Dakota. The sun is high, but the air is cold. You've seen nothing but pine trees and two narrow winding lanes for over an hour. Your car's radio is getting weaker. It sputters out in Neil Diamond song, laced with static. So we're going to check Alex because you have this cool log sheet where you can keep track of cho choices you make. Uh, so I'm going to check Alex because that says what to check. So I check Alex on the sheet and it says to keep offering help, go to seven. To change the radio station, go to three. You know what? Alex sees that Charlie's is in a man mode here and he's got to be a manly, manly man and find the way to where we're going. So I'm just going to change the radio station. Number three, to reach forward and turn the dial. The speakers vomit static while you scan for a signal. Please, Charlie barks and turns the radio off. I can't think without that noise. You raise your hands defensively. Sorry, you say, but Charlie ignores you. You stare at them for a few seconds, then sigh and turn to stare out the window. You watch the muddy green blur of passing trees for several minutes. Finally, Charlie says, they jab a finger at the still tangled map. It's the next left. You peer ahead and spot a tiny unpaved road cutting deeper into the forest. Charlie pulls onto it. And the two of you weave through the trees in silence. Make a psychology roll to gauge how Charlie is feeling. So, all right, our first roll. So, psychology is something that Alex is actually very good at because she's a salesperson. That's her profession. So, psychology, she has 45 skill in that. So, I got to make a skill. Uh, and depending on whether I succeed or not, depends on what I do. So let's see if I succeed. 45 is what I'm looking for. Here I go. And I roll a 46. So, oh, missed it by one. And you know what? I could elect to push that roll, but I'm going to not do that. I'm just going to go to eight. Charlie's sulking. This vacation is turning out exactly like you thought it would. Charlie always insists on jiving, gets lost, and then refuses to ask for help. Typical. The weekend is shaping up to be a nightmare. Anyways, Charlie said, it's not far now. Charlie drives deeper into the forest. The little road you're on winds erratically, dipping up and down and it weaves between hills. Above you, thick gray clouds obscure the sunlight. Soon, the sky gets lost in the branches of pine trees. You feel the cold seeping in from outside. Go to five. After a few minutes, a few more turns and a few miles travel deeper into the forest, the sun sets. Your car's headlights cut into the darkness, revealing the road ahead just a few feet at a time. Eventually, the lights drift over the front of a cabin, reflecting off two windows on either side of a front door, which seem to stare back at you ominously. The car stops and the headlights shut off. Finally, you sigh and step out onto the gravel driveway. As you walk around to the trunk to help with the suitcases, the cold night air seizes around you like a vice. Are you hungry? Charlie asks while you try to keep from shivering. Make a con roll. If you fail, check touched by the cold on the log sheet. Ooh, okay, so I gotta make a constitution roll. My con is 60, so this is good. So I'm trying to roll under a 60. And I roll a 96. My god, these dice do not like me. So I gotta check touched by the cold. Here, that sucks. Uh, I'm sure that won't come back to funny. And 
to say I'm hungry, go to 6. To say I'm not hungry, go to 12. I'm going to say I'm hungry. You nod. Sure. Hamburgers? Hamburgers it is. You take a brown grocery bag from the car's trunk, grab your suitcase, and walk to the cabin door. Charlie opens it up and steps inside. You follow, closing the door behind you to keep the chill out. Clue 11. The cabin isn't very big. It's just one central room with a double bed, a chest of drawers, and a corner set up to serve as a kitchen. There's no microwave. Both the oven and the stove use gas. You see two doors, one to the rear of the cabin, while another leads to a small bathroom. You just know it's going to be freezing in there. On the wall opposite the bed is a TV and a VCR unit sitting on top of a cupboard. The whole cabin is lit by muted yellow bulbs. It's not dark, but it's not quite light either. I'll be in the john, Charlie says, and then steps inside the small bathroom and shuts the door. You are left alone. You put your suitcase on the bed, take out a few essentials, then move to the kitchen and unpack your groceries. There is a gas fridge, an ice box that, judging by the steady and not at all soft hum emanating from it, was installed sometime in the 70s. To get started on dinner, go to 13. To wait for Charlie, go to 16. I can say Alex is hungry. She's going to start dinner. Uh, you unpack your ingredients for hamburgers. You find matches in the drawer, hold a lit one to the stove's gas burner, and turn the dial. Nothing happens. Damn thing, you ignore the front burner and use the front right instead. It lights up super quick. That's because the front right one is always the best one. Uh, you've got patties frying and chopping tomatoes when you hear the toilet flush. Charlie emerges from the bathroom soon after, sighing contentedly. Woo, sorry. Been holding on to that one since we left, Pierre. How charming, you muttered. Charlie comes up behind you and wraps arms around your waist. You feel their breath on your neck and the brush of a kiss against your cheek. I love you, Charlie whispers. To respond lovingly, go to 14. To change the subject, go to 17. So you know what? Alex is invested in this. She wants it to work. So uh, we're going to say that we go to 14. I love you too. You turn your head towards Charlie and kiss back. Now scoot. I've got to finish dinner. You busy yourself in the kitchen while Charlie flops onto the bed. I'm so glad we're here. Me too. I think it'll be really good for us, you know? Yeah. Like Dr. O'Brien told us, Charlie says, staring back at the carbon's warped reflection of the mirror, black TV screen. Getting away from everything to just focus on us will be great. I think it could be really healing. To talk about plans for tomorrow, go to 18. To reassure Charlie, go to 15. Hmm. I'm going to reassure him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep rolling with this. Uh, rolling with it. Yeah, you say with a faint smile. It'll be great. I know it. A few minutes pass and you serve up the burgers. You and Charlie sit and eat silently. You find the cabin's nearby window strange. Outside, it's so dark that all you can see is your own reflection. It's like looking into a mirror. What do you want to do tonight, you ask, math, mouth half full. Charlie raises an eyebrow. You roll your eyes. Seriously? Well, you want to go on a hike tomorrow, right? You nod. How about we just fire up a movie and take it easy? Charlie gestures at the TV. To agree, go to 19. To complain, go to 25. You know what? Agree. Uh, sure, you say. Charlie grins and takes the dishes and heads over to the sink to clean them. You walk over to the TV unit. It's a relatively cheap model from the late 80s, sitting on top of a dusty VCR plate. You switch both on and open a cabinet beneath them, wondering what videos Charlie's brother and his wife left behind. Oh, God. Uh, he sure likes scary movies, you say, looking over the titles. Fifteen different tapes, and you're sure that covers pretty much every major slasher film of the last decade. God, none of this looks good. There's not even a single comedy, Charlie asks for the, from the kitchen. Make a spot hidden roll. Ah, spot hidden. My favorite Call of Cthulhu roll. Uh, so I have a 35 in that. Let's see if I can make my first roll. Uh, uh, 16. Hell yeah, I did. All right. So, and now that that's a special success, so I don't know if that matters. Uh, if you succeed on the roll, go to 26. So I go to 26. 
As you're leafing through the tapes, you notice something in the back of the cabin. You reach inside and pull it out. It's an empty slipcase for a VHS, VHS tape. It's flimsy. Someone has scrawled the title on the back in a black marker, The Flowers in the Stream. You incredulously, incredulously read the title aloud. What is that? Charlie says. Empty case. Charlie walks over, wiping their wet hands on their pants. I've never seen, never even heard of that movie. Should have stopped at Blockbuster, he mutters. Looks like a bootleg. This is just a box, though. I can't find the tape. Maybe it's still in the VCR? Charlie leans over and presses the eject button. There is a whirring of infernal mechanism, internal mechanisms. Infernal would be better, though. And then the unit spits out a tape. Aha! Charlie says. You nod. Okay, well, we'll rewind it and we'll take our chances. It couldn't be worse than any of those. You just heard the spattering of schlocky horror tapes. Check tick the flowers on the stream on the log sheet. To change before the movie go to 21, to lay on the bed and watch it now go to 28. Oh, God. Uh, all right. So first of all, I got to check. Uh, I got to check the flowers in the stream. So check flowers in the stream. So far, I've been touched by the cold. That sucks. And flowers in the stream. Now, do I get changed before the movie to lay on the bed and watch it? You know what? I think I think Alex is going to get changed. They said they were going to just hang out tonight. So we're going to go 21. You grab the bag with one hand and head for the bathroom. I'll be right back, you say, and slip inside. It's even colder in the bathroom. You set the bag on the sink and blink at your reflection staring back at you from the nearby mirror. The door creeps open just a little. You sigh and push it closed again, but it doesn't take. You look closer and see a little latch at head height. The door obviously can't hold itself shut unless it's locked. You roll your eyes, ignore the door, and brush your teeth. A few minutes later, you return to the main room and change while Charlie waits patiently on the bed. The movie is all set up, paused at the beginning. You climb on the bed and settle in as well. Ready for a random, hopefully not horror film? Charlie asks. Sure I am. Start it up. You smile and slip under the blankets. Charlie presses play on the remote. Check tick occupied on the log sheet. Oh, God. So you get in that Call of Cthulhu sense of dread already. Like, occupied. Why did they ask me if I change? Why? What's going to happen? Ah! Go to 22. When the film begins, the screen is black. There is faint music, but no opening credits. Then the screen cuts to a blurry footage of what was clearly recorded on a handheld camera. Is this Mark's home movies, you ask? Charlie laughs and reaches for the remote. Oh, wow, I'm sorry. Wait a second, that looks familiar, say, pointing at the TV. Charlie hesitates. On a screen, you see a wall of tall forest trees. Leaves and pine needles crunch under the feet of whoever's filming. The camera pans across the landscape, setting a blur of greens and browns. Suddenly, you spot Mark's cabin standing alone in its little clearing, a dull red sedan parked out front. That's Julie's car, Charlie says. This must have been after their wedding. The camera is shaken. The wind rushes against the microphone, causing a brief flurry of hard scraping from the speakers. There's movement near the red car. A woman, Julie, is taking bags from the chunk. She's smiling. Yeah, Charlie says. That's at least five, this is at least five, six years ago. Julie turns as the cabin door opens. Mark steps out and walks over and takes one of the bags from her. They smile and exchange unheard words. You sit bolt upright. What the hell? What's wrong? It's only Mark. Yeah, so who's filming? Oh, shit. Charlie stammers and blinks. On the screen, Mark and Julie go inside and close the door behind them. The camera zooms in toward the window, where the picture is a grainy blur of colors. You see movement in the cabin. This camera zooms even closer. Then harsh wind picks up and howls through the speakers. The image smashes to a slurry of loud static. White noise booms in and out of the room. The sound drills into your skull. You feel like it's going to make your head explode. Wow. 
him. That was, I, you know, it's funny. I was reading that. I didn't even notice Mark stepped out. I, I, wow, that's creepy. Okay. Uh, make a note of the entry. Make a note of this entry number. You may need to return to it. All right. So this is entry number 22. I'm just going to make a note of that. 22. And make a sanity roll. If you fail, lose one sanity and check unsettled on the log sheet. Youch. Okay, so here's a go. First sanity roll. I have a 50 sanity. I have to roll under 50 to keep my sanity uh, and not be phased by this. And I roll a 97. So that's just awesome. So Alex is unsettled. So I got 49 sanity. For those of you keeping track at home, the horror has already begun. And I have to check unsettled. So I am unsettled. I think. And... I have to uh, cover my to cover years go to 29 to scramble for the dial and turn it down go to 23. Julie, uh, I'm sorry, Alex is a person of action. She's going to run and uh, turn it down. You dart from the bed, grimacing at the ear splitting noise. You switch the dial and kill the TV. Charlie is sitting on the bed with the hands clamped over their ears like a dope. Sorry, it's only a remote from the VCR. It has no volume control. What the hell was that? You ask angrily as you step away and slump back onto the bed. Charlie shrugs. I don't know. Mark and Julie came out here with someone else? Charlie laughs. I don't really want to think about what my brother and his wife might get up to when they're out here. Oh, God. It was one of those movies. Uh, you roll your eyes. That was creepy. It was like a peeping Tom. Well, we know it's not, Charlie gestures to the TV cabinet. Why would Mark and Julie have the tape? If Broken Heart is checked on the log sheet, you cannot stay calm. You must go to 24. To get frustrated with Charlie, go to 24. To stay calm, go to 30. Uh, you know what? Alex is trying to hold it together. I'm going to go to 30. I'm going to go to 30 and try to hold it together. So here we go. You shake your head and take a deep breath. You're right. It's stupid. Let's just forget about whatever the hell that was. Classic horror movie. Let's just ignore it. Uh, you still want to watch a movie? Charlie asks. Sure. Whatever is fine. One of those schlocky flicks, you say. Charlie gets up. My pick? Your pick. Charlie smiles and looks over the tapes in the cabinet. Oh, this is a good one. Look forward to find a tape that has a guy wearing a pumpkin on his head as the cover. I think you'll even like it, babe. Somehow I doubt it. You smile. No, seriously, Charlie says and slips the tape from the case. It's about it's about a guy who's a writer and he drives up to the secluded town in Maine, right? Charlie hits a jack on the VCR. And anyway, when he, the TV sets itself to life, blares itself to life. It bellows static through the cabin. Thunder is scraping and coughing, bounces off the walls. You thrash and cover your ears. Charlie swears, but he can hardly hear it. The noise builds to a frenetic pace, peak. It's almost unbearable then. Just as quick as it began, the noise stops and the TV falls silent. All the lights in the cabin go dead. The power is out. Go to 31. Charlie, you ask the darkness. Yeah? What was that? Power's out, I think. You hear scrambling in the darkness as Charlie shuffles along the floor, one hand touching the wall. They flick the light switch several times. I thought this place was on solar power. Well, I guess solar power still runs out. Is there a backup or anything? Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll have to head down the road and call Mark in the morning. I have to head into town and call Mark in the morning. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, oh, that's just great. You put your legs up to your chest. Okay, whatever. You're not used to this level of dark. The city doesn't get dark like this. You raise your hand in front of your face. You can't even see its outline. You feel anxiety rising in your chest. If either broken heart or blame game is checked, ticked on the log sheet, you cannot lean on Charlie for support. You must go to 33. To lean on Charlie for support, go to 32. To give up and go to sleep, go to 33. I'm being hopeful and optimistic here. So Alex is going to lean on Charlie for support. Charlie, can you open the bed? Sure. 
The bed frame creaks as Charlie crawls into it. In the silence following the outburst from the TV, even the slightest sound rings definitely loud in the quiet. You feel Charlie cuddle up close to you. I'm sorry, Charlie says. Don't be. Must be just an old shoddy set. I think Mark has had it since the 80s. We'll fix it tomorrow. You murmur softly in agreement. Charlie wraps an arm around you. You feel their breathing on the back of your neck. It slows quickly and soon fades into the gentle rumble of sleep. The sound is steady and calming. Before long, you drift off too. The only sound that disturbs you is a faint creaking of pines echoing softly through the black hills. So we wake up in the morning. I'm starting with uh, prompt 34 in the book. When you wake in the morning, you are alone. You stir in the bed and sit up. Babe? There's no answer. The only sound is the wind outside, carrying with it a gentle morning bird song. You get up and cross to the kitchen. There's a note taped to the chunky refrigerator, which is written in familiar handwriting. Sorry again. I just want this weekend to be special. Gone to, tra- gone to town to get help fixing power. Back ASAP. Love you. You set the note down. Looks like you have a few hours to yourself. To eat some breakfast, go to 35. To go for a brisk walk, go to 37. You know what? Horror movie trope. I'm going for the walk. See what I see. I already lost a little sanity last time, so let's see if something horrible happens to me here. Alone in the woods, what can go wrong, right? Outside, the air is fresh and the sun is warm. The sky is mostly clear. You fill your lungs with the scent of moist soil and pine trees. You take a few steps forward and peer down the driveway. It weaves way into the woods. The trees are so thick here that you'll probably have a better chance listening out for cars than looking for them. You turn and head down the walking trail just by the cabin. The earth has been worn smooth by the hiking shoes of innumerable visiting families. The forest grows thicker around you as you walk. Unseen critters skitter past the underbrush. Birds move through the branches above, calling out and making pine needles rustle. You come across a blueberry bush just by the trail. To stop and collect the berries, go to 38. To continue on your walk, go to 39. Oh, God. This is like a missing 411 moment. Uh, so missing 411, if you've never heard of it, is this guy, Dave Pilates, who's written these books about people going missing uh, in national parks in America. Uh, and he's he never reaches any conclusions. Uh, he's just really just gathering evidence. Uh, but uh, one of the interesting things is, is uh, a lot of people go missing picking berries. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm picking the berries. Uh, so you squat down and pick berries from the bush. Their flesh is weak. Juices spill off and strain your fingers purple. You're about to lift them clean when you hesitate. Blueberries are safe to eat, right? It wouldn't be a good look to accidentally poison yourself for the first time you set foot outside the cabin. Make a natural world roll. Okay, I have failed every single roll so far except for spot hidden to find the creepy video. So uh, natural world, I have a little bit of skill of 30. Let's see what I got here. And I rolled a 60. These dice hate me. Uh, I fail. Go to 104. Wow, jumping big time here. So, 104. What could a few berries do? Plus, you're at least 90% sure you know what kind they are. You lick clean the residue on your fingers and pop a handful more into your mouth. Before you leave, you pick a final bunch to fill your pockets. You stand up, chewing, and continue down the trail. You feel a gentle flutter in your chest as you go. You wonder about the day before, about the long drive in your relationship. Then you think of the howling television static. You fold your arms and continue walking. It's hard to keep that image out of your head. You keep your eyes on the trail and force yourself to focus on the now. That's the best advice you've received. Focus on the now. Off to the left, you hear running water. Check tick survivalist on the log sheet. Okay, sweet. I'm not going to die. Cool. So survivalist. Boom. At least I'm not going to die yet, right? To investigate the sound of the water, go to 44 to stick to the trail, 
go to 49. I am going to make every bad decision. So I'm going to go investigate the trail of water alone when nobody knows where I am. Uh, you step off the trail and stride through the forest towards the sound of running water. The ground is uneven, so you steady yourself on the trunks of nearby pines as you go. You walk for a little while until the sound of the water gets louder. You crest a small ridge and discover a bubbling stream just on the other side. The water is rushing downhill fast, headed south. It's clear and fresh. The trickling sound is melodic. Oh, shit. So here's where Flowers of the Stream comes into play. If Flowers of the Stream is checked, ticked on the log sheet, this place reminds you of something you must go to. Oh, shit. Okay, so uh, that's what I have to do. I have to go to 48. Don't get to make any other decisions. So that's what these log things do to you, man. So I have, I'm reminded of something, and I have to go from the stream to wherever this is. 48, you flinch. The black marker label on the videotape that played just before the TV blew up jumps to your mind. The flowers in the stream. Looking at the stream, the flowers at its bank, the leaves drifting down in its current, the memory of screeching static rings in your ears. You lift your eyes from the water and look around you. There's nothing unusual here, just the trail at your back and the lonely pines all along the length of the water. You are alone. Bone 49. It's time to keep walking. You refocus your mind and head determinedly down the trail, farther down the black hills and deeper into the forest. It's a pleasant hike. Sunlight filters through the pine branches and casts up dancing shadows all about you in the cold morning air. After an hour or so, you feel nature calling and step behind a tree to pee. You are fumbling with your clothes when you, make, when you spot something. Ahead of the trail, nestled in a narrow valley, is a dilapidated wooden shed. Investigate the shed, go to 56, ignore the shed, go to 79. So, here we go again. Uh, this is like basically a 90s horror movie. We're not going to ignore that shed, are we? Hell no. We're going to 56. I'm going to go check this out and die. Okay. You step through the small clearing where the shed leans lopsided against a rocky moss-ridden mountain wall. It's not large, maybe half the size of Mark and Julie's cabin. It's made entirely of wood. A rotting piece of pine serves as a makeshift door that's only just still handing, hanging from the frame. The place looks like nobody has been here in years. You step closer to the shed and put your hand against the door. It swings in slowly and easily. The shed is dark inside. You see a faint, shadowy blotches of furniture hidden in the gloom. If Nicknophobe is checked, tick the log sheet. Nope. Uh, to leave the shed behind, go to 79. To step in, go to 57. Every bad decision we are stepping in. The only light in the shed comes from the open door and a few cracks in the uneven weatherboard walls. There's no windows. It's like this place was designed to be gloomy. You see a small workbench, a wall-mounted cupboard, and a stack of cardboard boxes. The rest of the furniture is mildewy and unremarkable. The floorboards creak beneath you as you walk across the room. Depending on your choices, you may return to this entry several times. Select an option you may not have ever already chosen. Okay, so I have to remember 57, so I'm going to write that in my notes here. So I got 22 so far, and I got to make it over 57, because I might have to come back here. 57. And select an option of what I want to look at. Do I want to go through the cupboard? Do I want to look over the bench? Rifle through the boxes, leave the shed. I'm going to go, I'm going to look over the bench. 62. The bench is laden with a collection of tools. None have been touched in years. They are covered in greasy dust. You see a dull gray hammer. Perhaps it could be useful. There's also what looks like a specialized miniature screwdriver set. Take the hammer, 63. Take the, examine the screwdriver, 64. Otherwise, go back to 57. Hmm. I'm going to examine the screwdriver. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take the hammer because I'll, I'll make a good decision. The hammer is rusty. The leather grip is crumbling, but it's still heavy. That's all that matters, right? 
You take the hammer and tuck it away. Hell yeah, check in case of emergency on the log sheet. I got in case of emergency. All right, first smart decision I made. So, in case of emergency. Boom. Okay. Some of these things on the log sheet are terrifying, by the way. So, take the hammer, go back to 57. Back to 57, look over here. Uh, I'm going to search the cupboard, 58. The cupboard hangs precariously on a dilapidated wall. It has a stressful forward tilt, gripped by gravity. You see a few rusty nails secured in space. You carefully open the doors. Within are two little shelves, both lined with videotapes. They're home tapes like the one Mark had, with white stickers at the front marked by black sharpies. The tapes are all caked with moss and spiderwebs. I see where this is going. Uh, make a spot hidden roll to search through the tapes. If you succeed, go to 59. If you fail, go to 60. If you fail but wish to push the roll, you may roll a second time at the risk of your time searching your time searching being cut short. If you see the push... Okay, so I'm going to roll, and I'll decide if I want to push or not. So, sir, spot hidden is a 35. It's not a great, but this is the only one I've succeeded so far, so let's see if my luck holds a spot hidden. Uh, damn, yes, it does. I rolled a three. All right. So, I succeed. Go to 59. You notice an empty space in the row of tapes where one is missing. You reach out and take the tape next to it. It's a little less damaged than the rest. Maybe it'll still work. The black marker title reads, The Quiet in the Evening. You take the tape and tuck it away. All the videos have weird names. You note a few. The sun with the trees, hoping it erupts, the way she moves in the night, and the cry of the children. You narrow your eyes, anxiety rising, and gently close the cupboard door. Check, tick, the quiet of the evening on the log sheet. Creepy. All right. The quiet of the evening. Up, up, up. I'm going to check that on here. Quiet of the evening. There it is. Boom. Okay. So uh, I do not like that. I'm going to go back to 57. Uh, rifle through the boxes. Leave the shed. Mm, you know what? I'm going to go through the boxes again, too. What the hell? Uh, the boxes are wet and caked with mildew. Gross. You open the flaps of the topmost box. The cloying smell of rot hits your nostrils as soon as you touch it. Inside is a pile of black clothing. You pull the first article out. The smell gets worse. The clothing is all long and hooded, but each about the size of a bedsheet. This looks like something someone would wear to one of Mark's stupid slasher films. To keep searching through the boxes, go to 66. Otherwise, go back to 57. Uh... Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba... You know what? Fuck it. Bad decisions. Um, you move the topmost box aside and open the next one down. This one has more successfully protected from the elements. Inside is a collection of dirty glass jars, a long dagger in a leather sheath, and a handheld camcorder. Okay, here we go. Here are the vibes. Uh, depending on your choices, you may turn this into several times. Select an option. They're not already chosen. Uh, the first time you read this option, if unsettled is checked on the log sheet, okay, which it is because I was unsettled, I have to go right to 67. So 67, you blink as you look at the camcorder. For a moment, your ears fill with the high-pitched howl of crunching static, the same sound that played last night. You raise your hands toward your ears as quick as the sound began. It's gone again. You step away from the boxes. You're not sure you can stomach going through them. Make a note of the entry number you may return. need to return to it. 67. So i got to write 67 here. And we uh, make a power roll. If you succeed, you steady yourself and focus. Go back to 66. If you fail, lose one sanity. Oh, that's weird. So I'm making a power roll to lose sanity. Well, it's the same kind of thing, I guess. So let's see if I can make my power roll. Uh, ha, I fail. What do you know? Uh, so I lose another sanity. These dice hate me, by the way. So I am at 48 sanity now, for those of you keeping track at home. 
And you know what? That's going to freak out. Uh, that's going to freak Alex out. So I'm going to go back to 57. And I'm going to boogie. I'm leaving the shed. I'm not looking at anything else in here. I'm getting the hell out. Uh, she did not like what she sees, but she did take the hammer. And she's leaving. So uh, leave the shed and go to 79. Too bad I couldn't go to 69. But 79. 79. Forget that. You've seen enough horror movies to steer well clear of abandoned little sheds found in the middle of the woods. You continue your hike for about half an hour. Then turn and head back home. Go to 84. All right, so, all right, she made it out. She lived. Uh, go to 84. You press the rise that leads back to the cabin. The sun is high in the sky. It's late morning, soon to be afternoon. You sigh. There's no sign of the car, and therefore, you're probably still without par power or your partner for now. You head inside. Everything is well lit by the late morning glow. You change out of your walking clothes and leave them on the bed, then head to the bathroom to shower. If occupied is ticked on the log sheet, you remember a minor detail. Go to 86. Wait, so it's occupied. Hold on. Did I check occupied? I don't remember. Oh, crap, it is. All right, I don't remember what I got that from, but I checked occupied. So, occupied is checked. Go to 86. You close the door behind you and turn on the shower faucet. Oh, I forgot to hook the thing. Uh, water cascades into the wafting tub below, filling the room with constant loud drizzle that's almost reminiscent of white noise. The pressure is lousy without power to the pump, but gravity does most of the work. Thank God the water heater is gas-powered. You pause, remembering that the bathroom door doesn't keep itself shut. You push it close harder and pull the latch to secure it in place. You step in the shower and wash the morning hike away. To stay a while, enjoy the soak, go to 90. To shower, quickly go to 92. Uh, pressure's lousy. It sounds like it would be a cold shower, so I think we're going we're gonna to go 92. We're going to get the hell out of there. You get out of the shower and dry off. You step back into the cabin and decide to get dressed. To put on jeans and a t-shirt, check tick practical. Uh, on the log sheet. To put on warm, soft track pants and a sweater, check tick comfortable on the log sheet. Oh, man. Oh, God. I feel like this is a very important thing. Uh, I'm going to go with practical. Jeans and a t-shirt. You know what? Jeans aren't, like, actually the best thing to wear out in the woods because if they get wet, the cotton takes a long time to dry, from what I understand. Uh, but I'm still going to go with practical. Alex is thinking practical. So that's what we're going with. Uh, so... Either they go to 93. Freshly dressed, you feel renewed. Now, what to do with the afternoon while you wait for your partner to return? Hopefully they have a solution to the power problems. To make some food, go to 94. To search for flashlights and batteries so you have light for when it gets dark, go to 95. To try to restore the power itself, go to 368. I'm going to go to 95. Uh, so, practical first. We need flashlights and maybe do the power. Uh, you know there was a heavy-duty flashlight in the car, but it's gone now. What do you have here in the cabin? Right now, when the sun goes down, you'll be left in the dark. Make a spot hidden roll. You see, go to, oh, man. Okay, so I'm going to have to make another spot hidden roll. I have, this is the only roll I have succeeded in so far this game. Alex has pretty much been bad at everything else. So let's see what happens here. Let's see if my spot hidden, it does not. I rolled a 79. Shit. Uh, so I, I can push this at the risk of an unfortunate accident. I have a 35. I do not have a particularly good chance. Ah, you know what? That's metagaming. Fuck it. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to roll again. I'm pushing the roll. Let's see what happens. And 22. Hey! I'm glad I did. I succeeded. All right. So you succeed on the pushed roll. Go to 97. Hell yeah. 97. 
in the cupboard beneath the sink, you find a little plastic container with a mini flashlight in it. You switch it on. It works, but the beam is weak. The batteries are probably dying. You look for spares in the pantry, the bathroom, and in the bedside table. Eventually, your gaze settles on the TV cabinet. You cross the room through the television and perch on your knees in front of it. You open the cabinet and scan over the videotapes. You move some of them aside to look deeper into the cabinet. In the dark, right at the back, you find a blister pack of batteries. They must be kept here for remote control, but they fit the flashlight. Jackpot. You swipe the batteries out. The beam becomes stronger. Check. Fully charged. Boom. All right. So fully charged. I'm going to check. So what I'm checking here, you have these, uh, this log sheet where you're checking different decisions that you make because obviously they can uh, they can impact decisions that you make in the future. And the cool thing is you can either erase what you made to replay this or reprint it and do it with another one. Uh, like, you, you know, you can play uh, as Charlie, which is an entirely different story. Or you can play as Alex again and make different decisions. Uh, already I'm seeing there's a tremendous amount of replay replayability here. So if well-fed is ticked on the log sheet, you're bored, you must go to 108. To cook some food, go to 94. All right, so now battery secured, light is secured. I'm going to cook some food. You head to the kitchenette. You're glad the fridge and stove are powered by gas. You cook up, a, cook up a meal and enjoy it alone at the little dining table. Check well fed. Uh oh no. Check well fed. Okay, okay. Oh god, I might not have shouldn't have possibly eaten those berries. Uh, if survivalist is checked on the log sheet, your stomach growls. You must go to one oh two. Man, okay. Oh god, I think I think uh, something's gonna happen here. Yep. After a few minutes, your stomach rumbles. You feel something rancid bubbling in your gruts. You think back to the berries you ate in the forest and, and curse your adventurous appetite. You stand and head to the bathroom. You spend the better part of the next hour emptying your batteries. When you're done, return to the cabin. If fully charged or running on empty is ticked on the log sheet, you're bored. You must go to 108. Look for the flash and the badge. All right, so I'm going to go to 108 because I'm bored now after horrendous diarrhea uh of course you would be bored after that right uh you can't think of anything else to do in the cabin and restlessness is creeping in for a while you lie on the sofa and read an old beat-up paperback from a shelf in the corner you think it's pretty good but a little flowery and overwritten not to mention how grating prose written in the second person can be to make a listen roll make a listen roll okay oh oh boy okay listen 50 all right alex is good at this but that has not meant anything for me so far so let's see if i succeed at a listen roll 54 damn it oh man i'm pushing it all right because i can uh i'm pushing it at the miss of risking missing a critical detail so i'm going to push that bad boy uh See, here's where it's interesting because I didn't bring in luck. Normally, I would be able to spend four luck to make that a success. Uh, and I don't, I don't see it mentioned here in the rules. Uh, but I know that I could do that. Oh, spending luck. Here we go. If you fail the roll, you may be able to spend luck or push to roll succeed. And you take your measure push. All right. So you know what? I only need to spend four luck to make that happen. I only have 30 luck, but I'm going to spend four of it to make that listen roll. So I'm down to 26 luck. But that's okay. Uh, because everything's going to be cool, right? Uh, everything's going to be fine, and Alex is going to be fine, and she's going to be reunited with Charlie soon, and everything's going to be absolutely fine. So 26 luck. I spent four to make this rule. I missed that. I missed that part. Uh, so in the front, but you can actually spend luck. So there we go. So I'm going to spend luck to make it. So I'm going to go to 110. You hear footsteps outside. They crunch on the gravel driveway. You sit up. You didn't hear a car approach. You stand up nervously and cross, creep 
across to the window. A balding, middle-aged man is standing just outside the front door. He's dressed in a thick winter coat and has his hands in his pockets. You do not recognize him. He lifts his hand to the cabin door and knocks. To pretend nobody's home and wait for the stranger to leave, go to 140. To answer the door, go to 121. Yeah, you know what? 140 it is. Alex is freaked out about this. Uh, 140, we are hiding. Nobody's home. Just like when people try to come and sell me stuff or talk to me about their religion. Nobody is home at Casa de Grandel. All right. You wait a few moments. You hear him step away from the door. You move to the window and look out. You see him leaving. He doesn't head down the driveway. He takes the trail and heads into the forest, the same trail you went walking on earlier. To follow the stranger, go to 138. To close the door, make sure it's locked, go to 120. I'm not following some stranger out into the woods. We're going to go to 120. I'm going to um make some good decisions for a change. You need to make sure the cabin's safe. You check every lock you can find. You pull the door closed and lock it, sliding across the deadbolt to make doubly sure. Then you walk to the bathroom and check the window. You latch it shut, too. The other windows in the cabin don't open, and there's just one door in and out. All seems safe. Check. Tick. Lockdown onto the log sheet. Uh, so there we go. Lockdown on the log sheet. So, boom. Lockdown is checked. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Uh, lockdown is checked, and I can go to 142. Here's my next thing. The settlement for the night. Man, Charlie is not back, and it's already dark. This sucks. So, 142. Things just start happening, I think, here uh, with Alex alone in the woods at night. Uh, 142. It's dark. Clouds cover the sky, and the moon is hidden. You lay on top of the bed for a while, listening to the wind shaking in the branches and the pines all around. Every few minutes, you think you hear your partner arriving back. Every time you're wrong. When you walk around the cabin, you use your flashlight to guide your way. After a few hours, you make yourself a sandwich and eat it in the dark. While you chew, there's a knock on the door. It's a single knock. Suffocating silence follows it. To ignore the door, knock, go to 183. To answer the door, go to 176. Fuck. All right. Um, hmm. Ignoring 183, uh, she didn't hear a car pull up, uh, so even in her state of wanting her partner to be back, she's still going to ignore the knock. If it's Alex, he can open his mouth and say it's him. I mean, if it's Charlie. You finish your sandwich and put the plate in the sink. There's no further knock at the door. You're right. It must have just been something tossed at the cabin, brought on by the wind. As the night goes on, it gets colder. You use the flashlight, go back to bed, and get under the covers. On the cabin at the foot of the bed, the television turns on. The power is back. To turn on a light, go to 184. Turn off the awful TV, go to 185. Uh, turn on the light first, I think. You reach for the bedside lamp and flick the switch. Nothing. You get out of bed and use the flashlight to find the light switch on the wall. Nothing. You cross the cabin, step in the bathroom, flick the switch. Nothing. Just the TV turned on. Turn to the VCR, displaying slightly illuminated black. Oh, man. Uh, to inspect the TV, go to 186. It's quiet. The VCR is purring. The TV is dim. Depending on your choices, you may turn this over time. The quiet of the news. Check on log sheet. Let's go to one eighty-seven. I check the quiet of the. Oh, did I did? Damn. All right. So I have to go to one eighty-seven because I checked the quiet in the evening, which I think was a tape. All right. You produce the tape you found in the dilapidated shed. Shit. The title, written in a black marker pen, reads "The Quiet in the Evening." You take the tape to the television set. You sit on your knees to reach the VCR. To play the tape, go to 188. To change your mind, put the tape away, go to 186. Yeah, we're watching this tape. All right. 
so you insert the tape and press play. The screen flutters for a moment, then the sounds of the forest come in. The tape looks to have been made with a handheld camcorder. The person recording is looking at a campfire. Flames are licking around a wet log. The sizzling crack of wood merges with the rustle of the surrounding trees. After a few moments of this, you hear a voice. It's a man's voice with a strange sing-song tone that reminds you of adult presenters on kids' television. Ugh. It's so nice and quiet here at night, the voice says. You're pretty sure it belongs to whoever is holding the cabin. Along with my thoughts, not a care in the world, I must say. The banality of this lonely self-talk creeps you out. The camera jolts to the left. It is now centered on the tree line, right on the edge of the light from the fire where the forest plunges into darkness. Hello, the man says. There is nothing but the quiet crackling of the fire. Hello, he stands up. He walks closer to the forest. Is someone out there? Faintly, somewhere in the dark, you hear the muted sound of shouting. Well, what did you say? The cameraman calls. Again, the muted sounds of yelling. The cameraman stands, staring into the dark for a few moments longer. Then, hastily, he turns the camera down to face his boot-clad feet and strides back to his camp and crawls into his tent. Panting, he quickly zips the entrance flap up. The tape ends. To rewind the tape and raise the volume and try to hear the muted voice, go to 189, eject the tape 186. 189! Uh, you rewind the tape, watching his image flash in reverse before. You stop at the part where the man turns the camera towards the forest. The volume, crank the volume to max. Hello? The man says. You hear a very quiet voice yelling out in the dark. Hello? He stands up and walks across to the forest. Is someone out there? Make a listen roll. Uh, I'm going to do that, and I'm probably going to push this one, too. Listen. Boom. I got a 50, and listen, and I roll a 64. God, I suck. So I'm pushing this. Uh, at the risk of hearing something you wish you had it, of course. This is a call of the Thulu, baby. Rolling it again. Listen. And that is a 46, so I succeed. I'm probably not going to be happy that I didn't. You strain your ears. The reply is faint, made in a haggard voice. It's eating me! What did you say? Again, the haggard, hard, screaming, screaming voice replies, It's eating me! The camera stands, staring into the dark just for a few months longer. Then, hastily, he turns the camera down and faces boot-clad feet and strides back to his camp, crawls in his tent. You hear the distant voice calling out one last time, Help! It's everywhere! I can't hear! The tape ends. Make a sanity roll. Sanity roll. Oh, crap. So I have 48 sanity. I've missed two sanity rolls already. So I started with 50. I'm now at 48. I have to roll below a 48 here. Uh, if I succeed, I go 181. If I fail, I go to 194. So let's see what happens. 57. Hey. All right. Hey, going crazy is fun, right? Uh, so I failed. So I go to 194. 194. Eating. Something was eating that guy. What the hell was eating him? It's out here. It's coming for you. Oh, God. Why did you think it was a good idea to take the tape in the first place? What were you thinking? Eating. It's eating. It's going to eat you. It will start with your feet. It's going to take little bites and make each one count. You don't know what it is, but you know it's going to eat you. Make note of this entry number. You may need to return to it. Great. 194. 194. And this is where I get into the big leagues, boys. Uh, I got to roll 1d4. Sanity. So watch me roll high on this. And I roll a two. Okay, so that sucks, but it's not that bad. So now I'm down to 46 sanity. Uh, sanity is fraying very rapidly, like any good Call of Cthulhu adventure for Alex. So here we go. Starting to get freaked out. Uh, go to 186. 
It's quiet. The VCR is purring. The TV is dim. Let's play the tape from the last night. Go to 208. To leave the TV alone, go to 223. You know what? Fatal curiosity is being to uh, set in. Curiosity killed the cat. I'm going to 208. I am playing that other thing. 208. The tape from last night is still sitting in the cabin. Call it cabinet. Call it morbid curiosity. Hey, what did I say? Or just a desire to understand what is going on. But you take up the tape and slide it into the VCR. You turn the volume all the way down. You don't want a repeat of the speaker blasting static from last night. You press play. The tape begins where it left off the night before. Static, thunderous white noise muted by your fingers on the volume dial. Then the tracking of the tape flickers. Jagged white and silver lines horizontal across the tape. It looks like the tape had more footage to show you when you turned it off last night. Chick, chick, familiar face on the log sheet. Oh, God. It's going to be the dude uh, that came to the cabin. To adjust the tracking tape, UCR controls go to 222. To let the tape play, go to 209. Yeah, you know what? 209. Uh, you ignore the tracking, assuming it'll fix itself. The white noise vanishes from the screen. It's replaced by the image of a clearing in the forest. Someone is adjusting the camera, presumably setting it on a tripod. The figure finally steps into view. It's just some guy. He's wearing a fluorescent hunting jacket and beanie. He stands back and looks at the camera and smiles and turns to the clearing. He set up a little campfire in a tiny two-man tent. After nodding contentedly, the figure squats by the fire, snapping sticks in half and tossing them into the flames while looking at the camera. His lips are moving. To adjust the volume, you can hear what the figure is saying. Go to 210. Yeah, you know. Continue to watch the tape muted. Go to 217. Oh, God. 210. Morbid curiosity. You turn the volume dial, and his words become clear. Out five days now, I think. He looks up and around the pines at the edge of the clearing. It's beautiful. I'm expecting my friends any day now. No, oh, brother, your friends are never coming. The man stands up, looking down at the fire. Flames are keeping me warm, keeping me prepared. He turns to the camera again and gestures to a tent. It gets cold at night. I think soon enough that won't matter. He moves to the tent and unzips it. He sticks his head and arms in and forages around for a few moments. He comes out of the tent holding a manila folder, the kind you see people store documents in at offices. He walks back to the camera and takes a seat in front of it. The frame is tight around his face. The figure looks directly down in the lens right at you. He says something, but it's too soft to hear. Rewind the tape, turn up the volume. Yep, hell yeah. Uh, 213. You rewind the tape and play with the volume up. It's uncomfortably loud. You press play. You see the man is walking back to the camera. Take a seat in front of it. He's so close you can hear his breathing. He looks directly down the lens right at you. This is the blessing of the child, he whispers. Now that he's up close, you notice something weird about his eyes. He has a little series of pustules sprouting around the rim of his eyelid, almost directly along the same spot where his eyelashes grow. Gross. They vary in size, but look, look sore, yellow, and wet. If veterinarian is checked, tick on watch it, you remember a similar ailment? Nope, I go to 215. The man holds up the folder and smiles. Everything here, just as yesterday. Everything I wrote down, the first dream. He puts the folder to his lap, out of sight, and looks down. You hear the folder open and the papers rustle. I'll read it again. Words that came to me in my sleep. He whispers to the camera, proud, and gestures to the clearing behind him. Excuse me. This exact spot. I saw it every night. Every single night. He's giddy now. He looks down at his papers and begins to read. It comes in the faces of those it has taken, those it has bought off into the fold. By the light of the sun it is hidden, clad in the skin of the familiar. 
It clears his throat and then continues. By night it walks free, a student of the earth, a venom and a cure of the forest. Drawing from deep in the soil, these black hills are its flesh today. Every tree is a hare. Its followers are those dictated by the rule of time. Mikhail, Homer, Olivia, Darcy. He pauses there and points excitedly at the paper. That's me, he adds and then goes on reading. Marcus, Charlie, Alex, Rachel, Isaac. Darcy pauses. He looks at the camera. Charlie, he asks. Alex, he leans in close to the camera. The entire screen now just his eye reading with pustules. Charlie, Alex, are you coming home? The screen smashes to white noise and the room fills with crackling static. Make a sanity roll. All right, I got to make another sanity roll. Uh, let's see what happens. 46. Got a beat. Uh, 44. A hey, unfazed. So I go to 214. You shove your fingers into your ears and smack the stop button on the VCR with your elbow. The cabin falls silent again. The television set sits there, glowing quietly. You remove your hands from your ears, but your heart is still thundering in your chest. His words, how did he know those names? How did he know you? Go to 186. 186 is the VCR. Uh, I have done everything with this VCR. I am fucking done with it. To leave the TV alone, go to 223. So, yeah, more than enough of that. 223. You turn away from the television set and cross over to the bed. You sit down and try to avoid looking at it. You can hear it humming ever so softly. To head to bed, go go to sleep, go 255. To step out onto the porch and look around one last time for the return of your party, go 224. You know what? Looking around, 224. Uh, time to start flying around the woods at night and getting scared by shit. You follow your flashlight beam to the cabin door and open it. It's dark and cold outside, and the wind drifts past the clearing in front of the cabin, down the driveway to the road hidden by the forest. You shine the flashlight left and right. There's no sign of your father, partner. You are obviously being optimistic. If there are any cars out here, you'd hear them a mile out. Make a listen roll. So I have succeeded in very few rolls here. Uh, so listen is a 50% skill. It's a good one for Alex. Let's see how I do. Okay, 65. Fucking awesome. Uh, you fell. Go to 228. You hear nothing. You see nothing. Your partner hasn't made it back. Hopefully they're held up somewhere and will arrive at some point during the night. Still, you can't help but fear the worst. You go back inside and close the door behind you. A half second later, something slams against it. The collision is loud. The door shudders. You hear a roar of anger and the sound of fists beating against the wood. The wooden doorframe begins to splinter. Someone is screaming bloody murder and try to get inside. To try to secure the door, go to 237. To grab something to defend yourself with, go to 241. To try and hide, go to 3239. You know what? Uh, mm. 241, baby. Getting that hammer out. Gonna beat the shit out of this guy. Uh, 241. You search around for something, anything to defend yourself. In case of emergencies, check the log sheet. You remember the heavy weapon you found. That is exactly what I'm going for. Uh, 244. You have a weapon. You hurry over to the pile of clothes you wore earlier in your job, rummaging and draw, and draw the moldy but still solid hammer you have found in the shed this morning. To wield the hammer, go to 249. Absolutely, I'm wielding the hammer like fucking Thor here. Uh, the hammer is well weighted in your hands. You slap it against your palm, walk forward, and make your stand by the front door. After just a few seconds, it bursts open, and the stranger steps inside. He charges right at you. Check, tick, blunt force trauma, because that's about to be what I inflict on this gentleman. Uh, so blunt force trauma, I am going to give this sir, gentleman a concussion. Uh, go to 259. 
He'll beat you about your fucking head, bro. The stranger is bigger than you. He is crazed, wild, and violent. He thrashes with empty hands in the air around him as he comes in the room in large, rapid strikes, close strides, closing the distance. Try to get out of the way, go 262. To attack him, go to 260. Yeah, fuck this dude. He's getting attacked. You lash out to the stranger. Castle, castle doctrine, bitches. Uh, make a fighting ball roll. Uh... Okay, if red-handed is check, I do not, so make a brawl roll. I am good at this. 55, please succeed. Hey, 52, I succeed. So, 261. The stranger is deranged and dangerous, but you're strong, skillful, lucky, or a combination of all three. You land a solid strike. Uh, if blunt force trauma is ticked, go to the log sheet. You must go to 268. 268. Your hammer thuds into the stranger's face with a thickening crunch. He crawls like a top and crumples into a heap. You see a spray of blood and teeth that clatter on the ground just after he does. Fuck this guy. The strange groans. Murderer, he mumbles through his shattered drawer. You dared to threaten the child. You will pay. Before you can respond, he starts to rise unsteadily to his feet. You can see his madness plainly in the way he glares. This guy is hurt, but he's not going to stop. You're pretty sure if he shot him, he'd still somehow keep coming. The endless, implacable rage burning in his eyes is terrifying to behold. You let the hammer drop from your grip. What? No! There's no way you are going to give up an opportunity like this. While the stranger is wounded and unsteady, you spin around and sprint through the open cabin door. He howls in rage with quieter as you tear off into the woods. All right, I mean, that's very 90s. But she should have finished them off. All right, so uh, 298, I got to go to. 298. Getting in the shit now, bros. You dash out into the night, running as far and as fast as your body can manage. The cold air burns your lungs. The surrounding trees sound alien as they rustle, making you all the more terrified. Every few minutes, you emerge from the trees to a section of dirt road. You keep praying you'll see your partner's car arriving, but deep in your soul, you know it won't come. After almost an hour of mad flight, you come to a crossroads. You recognize it from your journey up to the cabin. You're not sure which direction leads to the highway and which leads deeper into the woods. The forest feels inescapable. I love this so much. Okay. Make a navigation roll. This is this is awesome. I, I love the vibes of this. Make a navigation roll. Uh, if you succeed. All right. So navigate. 40. Not particularly great. Dice have not been kind to me. Let's see what happens. Hey, I rolled a six, so I succeed. So the dice have maybe gotten in my favor. Maybe I'll even live. If I succeed, go to 299. You pick one pathway and follow it. Even after hurrying on for what feels like ages, you can't tell if you made the right call. The flashlight you carry is the only way you can see your surroundings. The only thing you can tell is that the forest is quieter here. Eventually, you start to tire. You're also getting seriously cold. You lean against the tree to catch your breath. If well-rested is checked on log sheet, your previous rest bolsters your strength. Nope, I gotta go 301. I did not have well uh no, I have well-fed, not well-rested. Shit, all right. 301. You try to catch your breath, but it doesn't seem to work. Your hand slides down to the base of the tree, and you collapse down against its roots. You suck air over and over, and your lungs feel icy. Despite the horrible situation you find yourself in, your eyelids feel heavy. Oh, God. You're not sure how long you can wait. But you're not sure how long you wait, but it is some time until you feel as though you can get back on your feet. You stand slowly, teeter, but manage to forge on. Right now, you just need to put distance between yourself and the cast you escaped from. When the sun rises, you'll be able to reassess and begin to find your way back to civilization. Make a donor the century number. You may need to return to it. 301. Okay. And I take one point of damage. Damn. One point of damage. All right. So, uh... 
that's numbness setting in. So I had 13 hit points. I now have 12 from the cold. I guess that would be, that would represent like kind of like a hypothermia setting in. Go to 302. Eye needles and dirt crunch under your feet as you walk. You make progress, but with every step, you feel yourself growing wearier. You need to find somewhere to rest. Maybe some high ground would be good, or should you look for a grotto? Anywhere sheltered would be best, right? Just as you spot a cluster of trees where it looks like you'll be able to rest and stay dry, you hear a faint hiss behind you. What was it? Static? Was this sound static? Adrenaline surges to your system. To investigate the sound 303, to run like hell 308. Uh, you know what? Alex isn't running like hell mode, so I'm going to run like hell. No, no. You don't stop to think. You take off at a sprint and race into the forest. You resist the urge to call out for help because you know that none is coming. Ahead of you, moonlight just barely reveals a jagged pathway. Littered with sharp rocks and treacherous tree roots, you try your best to avoid them. If running on empty is checked, uh, your flashlight falters. If fully charged is ticked, uh, it remains lit. Go to 323. All right, 323. Oh, man, there's some great artwork, I got to say. Uh, the page 81, there's a full page art piece here that's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, 323. I don't want to mention it because spoilers, but 323. If fully charges is ticked on the log sheet, it remains lit, and you must go to 323. Without light to guide your path... Oh, I see. Okay, I, I read ahead and didn't understand. Without light to guide your path, you'd almost certainly break your neck running over uneven ground ahead. You silently thank your lucky stars as you stop to add extra batteries to your flashlight. You dodge between the hazards and leave the sound of, leave the sound of static behind you. After a minute or so of mad dashing, you can hear nothing but the rustling of forest pines. Just as you're about to stop to catch your breath, you suddenly break through the trees and emerge, blinking into a moonlit clearing. Without the pine trees hiding the light, you can see much more clearly here. The clearing you've wandered into isn't very large, but somebody is still set up inside it. You see a small tent next to a dormant fire pit. Maybe you found help. If familiar face or wrong turn is checked on the logbook, you recognize the cam book, you must go to 266. Okay, so 266, I recognize a familiar face. So 266, man, this is not going to be good, I don't think. Because this is that campfire for the video. A sense of deja vu washes over you. The campsite, it's the same one. You hear a rustling from inside the tent. Your noisy arrival woke up whoever's inside. A sing-song voice calls out, Hello? Your stomach sinks. You recognize that voice. The tent flap unzips and the same man steps out. He's even wearing the same clothes. He looks towards you, hesitates, then nods. You notice that his eyes show no sign of surprise. To respond to the man politely, go to 335. To respond to the man aggressively, go to 286. So this is an interesting choice here. So this is where some role playing comes in. Um, the intelligent thing would be to probably respond politely and uh, you know kind of like bluff your way to the situation. But Alex is freaked out. I've I've lost a lot of sanity here uh, relatively. I've lost four points of sanity in a relatively short period of time. Uh, I want to freak the fuck out on this guy. So 286. What the hell is going on? Please stop. Calm down, the man says, holding his hands up defensive. Please. Tom, screw you. Tell me who the hell you are. He pauses and licks his lips. I'm the one who can hear it. What the hell does that even mean? The child. It speaks to me. You better start talking some, you better start talking some goddamn sense. The child of the forest. When it weeps, it sounds like static. You fall silent. The man smiles, nodding. You've heard it too, haven't you? You hesitate. If Alex is checked, Alex has heard the static. Go to 336. I'm going to 336. Alex has heard the static. 
I gotta tell you, there's some not not hopeful artwork here. Uh, so I gotta go to 336. Alex is sort of the Alex, he says, you freeze. How do you know who I am? The child told me. It just wants a family, Alex. That's what we can give it. That voice in the static? The child, yes. You may return to this entry several times. Okay, so uh, to ask what the child is, go through through seven. To ask more about what the child wants. To ask the man, ask if he's a man who's sitting around. I'm going to, I'm going to go to uh, 339. How do you know all this? We'll start there. That seems appropriate. How do you know all this? It's a burden, this knowledge, the man smiles. I came to this place years ago. I bought my camera. I wanted to document a while, but I found something far more important to document. Something beyond comprehension. I found that a child could somehow manipulate the magnetic particles in my videotapes to show me visions of the future. He smiles wide. And so far, they've all come to pass. The child exists beneath the earth, in the soil, in the trees, and in the pine needles at our feet. The power of the earth all around it lets it smell and taste and touch anyone who encounters it, whether they have already or not. What do you mean? It sees the future? For the child, there is only now, and now is everything all at once. It's why I was waiting for you. In my time here, the child has shown me many things, all stored in my tapes. I've kept them and I've labeled them and tried to categorize them all as best they could. Gotta go back to 336 and, uh... Okay, ask more about the child and what it wants. We'll do that one. Uh, 338. The, the child, it says. It, it wants a family? The man nods. It's spent uncountable years alone. It sees past, present, and future. It has tried so desperately to adopt to the technology of our world, but it has failed. It just wants people to be with it here in its home, he gestures around. Uh, go back to 336. Ask what the child is. 337. Uh, 337. You keep calling it a child, you say. What actually is it? The man smiles. Something ancient. I know, a strange name for one so old. I believe it was birthed from Mother Earth herself. It exists alone in the wild places of the world. It is lonely and aching. I'll go back. Ask if he's the guy you've seen around. You, you're the guy I've seen around? It may have been me, or rather, a version of me. I'm sorry, I'm switching. I remember he had like a Texas accent, now I'm going back to it. It may have been me, or maybe a version of me. What? I've given myself to the child. I'm its family now. If it wishes, the child can take my form. Indeed, the child takes many forms. Those are its victims, past, future. Finish talking. Uh, tell the man he's talking nonsense. Ask him how you can safely leave. I'm going to ask that. I'm going to guess there is no way to do that, but let's see. How can I get out of here? You mean leave? Yeah, I, I want to get out of here and go home. I never wanted to come back here, ever. The man shakes his head. I'm afraid it's too late for any of that. The child has chosen you. It awaited your arrival for so long. You shake your head. I, I don't care. I'm not staying. You turn and make to run, just as a familiar voice rings out. Wait! If Alice has checked... You recognize Charlie's voice. Fuck. All right. Uh, go to 342. You spin away from the man. There, standing at the edge of the clearing, is Charlie. Their clothes are flaked with mud and dirt. There are twigs caught in the hair. But they're here. They're alive. They're smiling at you. Yeah, right. Honey, they say. It's okay. To run the Charlie with open arms, 343. Hesitate, 351. Hesitate, 
Give them the hezzy. All right. Something in the base of your consciousness is sounding a terrible alarm, but another equally strong part of you is telling you to run over and embrace the person you love. If broken heart is checked, tick them log sheet, the voice telling you to stay isn't loud enough to flee the clear and go to 10. To run to Charlie, go to 343. I guess I have to run to Charlie. Fuck. Why did I try to fucking... Why did I try to resolve things earlier? Why? Why did I have to be hopeless romantic? Uh, so I go to 343. You dash across the clearing and cling to Charlie. Oh my god, I've been so worried. You hold him close to you. Go to 352. Charlie hugs you back. I know you have. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay now. We're all together now. You feel Charlie's hand stroking the back of your head. You pull away. You don't have time for this right now. Charlie, where's the car? We must get out of here. We have to go now. Charlie looks back at you sadly and shakes their head. No, honey. We, we can't go. We have to stay here. The way Charlie speaks is all wrong. Standing closer now, you notice a thousand subtle details that don't fit with the person you know. This isn't Charlie. I know you're nervous. I'll try to explain everything, but just, I don't think there's much point. They raise their arms and open them wide. I'll just show you. If a rival is ticked on the log sheet, a horrible image flashes in your mind. Nope. So I get to go to 348. You can't bring yourself to answer. Your mouth just opens and shuts like a fish's. Charlie watches you for a long time and then bows their head. Your heart drops. I need you, Alex, Charlie's voice says, but this time it comes from behind you. You spin around and see that the man who crawled out of the tent, body unchanged, is now wearing Charlie's face. There's two of them now. They're on either side of you. I need you like I needed Charlie, they say. When they speak, their voices merge, overlay, and bleed static. You're here now. We can be together. We three. We four. All of us. Please come with me. Make note of this entry, Emmy. Oh, great. 348. And I got to make another sanity roll. I have failed almost all of them. Let's see if uh, I make one now. We're coming to the end. I've got 46 sanity. Soon to be a lot less, I feel. Uh, if I fail, I lose 1d6 sanity. That's a lot. Okay, so sanity. You got to roll lower the 46. Come on, baby. Uh, 26. Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, to refuse. Go to 357. Time to bug the fuck out of here. So 357. No. You say, I don't want that. What? I don't care what you or anyone else says about the child. I want to go home. I want to leave. You see your partner's face fall. I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry I couldn't make it painless. Fuck. Your partner's face bulges. Pine needles sprout from their cheeks and emerge covered in blood. Their mouth opens and thick, fleshy tentacle laced with pale blue veins and coated saliva unfurls. Would not be called a Cthulhu without tentacles. Uh, you hear your partner's voice screaming. The child is given form. From its flesh emerges a true manifestation. A dozen more voices join the noise. They're laughing, shrieking, and crying. They're chanting something, a name. They repeat it again. Ushtika! Ushtika! Your partner steps closer. Clothing sloughs away from their body as their chest spills open into a sphincter-like maw from which goes a hard, swarming hell of static. To run, go to 358. To fight, yeah, we're running. Uh, you take one last look at your partner's body. It's disintegrating, turning into something foul before your eyes. There's nothing left you can do for them. It doesn't matter how you feel about them, what you wanted for them. Some greater force has decided for you. All you can do now is run. You race to the edge of the clearing. You make it out. You can make it out if you're fast enough. You hear the warp sound of your partner's voice calling after you, but don't turn back to look. Then you hear sl heavy slamming footsteps 
fast approaching. Make a dex roll. If you succeed, okay, dex roll. Shit, 65. I've got a good dex. I've got a good dex. We can still do this, everyone. Wish me luck. Ah! Yes! 50. Yes! Yes! Uh, 360. Okay. Run through the forest. You jump logs, duck under low-hanging branches, deftly avoiding the moss-ridden stones. For a while, you hear the sounds of pursuit, but terror, rage, and anguish pushes you to run for far longer than you ever have before. Eventually, the sounds of pursuit fade. You keep running, tears streaming down your face. You run for hours. You only stop when the sun rises. With the light of the new day, you find your way through the trees back to a main road. Main road. You walk, haggard for hours. Sometime in the mid-afternoon, when the autumn sun is beginning to dip, you're picked up by a passing trucker. He stares at you curiously and asks repeatedly if you are all right. You never answer him. You ask to be dropped in the center of town, but he drops you at the police station. Doesn't matter. It'll do. You head inside. Days pass in a blur of hospital visits, police reports, and soul-sucking interviews with smiling psychologists who assure you they're only there to help. The search teams go into the Black Hills to try to find your partner. They don't find anyone but you never really thought they would. They do eventually find your car. Even though it has your license plate, the searchers say they can't, it can't have been the same vehicle. It was rusted, covered in moss, looked as though it would have been abandoned in the forest for years. You find no reprieve, even in rest. When you sleep, you dream only of the forest, the lonely trees, the wet soil, and the endless night sky. But there's a strange, budding warmth in your belly that makes everything seem fine. Somewhere out there is screaming, a chanting, the wind that unsettles the trees, the breeze that makes the pine needles dance across the forest floor. Then there's the static, a cacophony of sound running together, blending to create a long, all-encompassing drone. It fills your head, your very being. The static is all. Then suddenly, the warmth within your stomach explodes. Your flesh tears, yet there's no pain or blood. You watch in horrors and gnarled branches some ancient tree emerge from your stomach. All the while, twisted roots encircle your bones, crushing and cracking them. You try to scream, but only static emerges. As the static fills you, everything around you, the last thing you are aware of is the endless sea of stars above you, the cold stars. Then, darkness. Go to 354. The darkness lifts. The light of dawn brings you wake. You don't recall how much time has passed. It might have been years later. It could have been years earlier. Somewhere in the forgotten wild, you stir. You see the ancient forest around you. The pine needles feel like carpet on the ground. It's all warm and familiar. The wind flutters through the black hills to a place where no bears, rabbits, or birds ever tread. Trees shiver in the final moments of summer, and beneath the moist earth, you shift. Dead branches and fresh soil fall away from you as you emerge. Human again, you rise from the damp earth and breathe. You blink and hear the call of your master. The child awaits you. You have successfully completed the story and have been reborn to serve the child, as you will be again and again and again for all eternity. The end. That has been Alone Against the Static, a solo 90s adventure beyond signal range. Alex and Charlie, Alex did not have a happy ending, or did she? Who knows? I'll leave that up to you. I don't think it's happy she didn't get out. But that is uh, some classic classic Call of Cthulhu and some classic 90s horror vibes. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. Uh, great, great stuff. 
again, lots of replayability. Uh, you can play again as Alex. Uh, all you need to do is erase this stuff off this log sheet and play again and make different choices. Or you could play as Charlie. Uh, and again, I'm sure there's a lot of replayability in either one of those uh, playthroughs. Uh, lots of things, lots of different things that can happen. Excuse me. Lots of roles went poorly for me early on, but I kind of rallied towards the end. But uh, lots of fun. Lots of fun. Solo role-playing uh, is, as you've heard us do, a lot of fun. It can be a good thing to do if you don't have a group. Uh, and these sorts of things from Call of Cthulhu are great because you've heard us play a lot of games where, you know, you still have to have a lot of creative input. And maybe you're new to these sorts of games. Maybe you don't, maybe you're not comfortable, you know, yet doing that level of improv and making stuff up on the spot and nobody's watching you're by yourself so it doesn't matter as long as you're having fun but if you're not these sorts of things from 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 chaosium these call of cthulhu solo adventures like alone against the static a lot all this stuff is built in it's just to choose your own adventure you just read the prompts and, and pick the next one so it's like it's like having the game master there for you uh, describing everything. So if you want to try some solo uh, role-playing, you want to start with something, I recommend this one a lot. You just need this and a copy of the Call of Cthulhu rules. Uh, you probably could even do it with just with the starter set, which is an excellent value. Uh, again, as I said at the beginning when I started doing this uh, this series, support those other gaming companies out there that are, are putting out really great stuff. They're really friendly to the communities. They appreciate the communities they've built around their games. And they're much better than, uh, you know, other corporations that might just own something as a brand that they're trying to extract massive value from. So again, Alone Against the Static, Call of Cthulhu, Chaosium, Excellent, excellent, excellent. Fully recommend it. Hope you enjoyed my playthrough of it. I know I'm going to probably play this again as Charlie uh, at some point, uh, but hope you enjoyed it. This is Christian signing out. Until next time, um, don't watch weird VCR tapes you find in cabins. Uh, that's probably not a good idea. Have a great one, guys. This is DMs After Dark. If you want to reach out, you can email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. You can reach us any place on the socials. We have uh, Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Blue Sky because we're super cool and we got an invite. We have all those things. Reach out to us. Talk to us. Let us know what you think about this. Have a great one, guys. Take care.